Welcome to Integral Christian Network Podcast, where we explore ways of evolving towards a more loving, inclusive, and embodied mystical Christianity. Let's begin with a brief practice to move ourselves into a more holistic consciousness and awareness. Today we're going to do a whole body mystical awakening practice with the three faces of God. So let's begin in our hearts. Just let your attention move to your heart space. Maybe feel your breath moving in and around your heart. Feeling the energy of your radiant center that emanates love and bliss. And the heart is our space of relationality, of connection. So in this moment, we're going to open our hearts to the God beside us, to a presence of divinity who's there with you wherever you are, whether you can sense it or not. That might feel like God's motherly, fatherly presence, perhaps Jesus, Mary, or other spiritual guides. Is there someone there with you? Just let your heart be open to noticing a presence with you. Now let's move down to our feet, grounding ourselves to the earth, rooting into material reality and the energy of the earth. If you're driving or moving, you can picture water or stream flowing deep and now bring in your womb space your spiritual womb the space of our deepest divine identity and we sink into this space we can connect to God being us to God continuously creating us anew in each moment. Keeping your grounding, maybe touch base with your heart, the radiant center. And then we'll move on up to our heads. Coming from the body, just enjoy the cleared stillness if you're able to let your mind have a vibrant clarity. And your mind can keep going up above your head, all the way out into infinite cosmos, to the great beyond, into God beyond us. And when you're ready, let yourself return to your body in this brief practice and into our conversation. Uh, I love that practice. <laughs> uh, there's something so um, relational about that kind of practice. It, it, I think so often the, one of the ways in which I try to, um, when I'm helping myself and others move into um, the three faces practices like that, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means in just a moment, but there's such a relationality to the practice itself. And in my context, when I run into folks who feel like 
some spectrum of I've tried meditation and it doesn't work or I try it, but it doesn't seem to produce a lot of uh, what I'm told it can produce. And quite often what I run into when I run into some kind of uh, reaction on that spectrum is the attempt to defeat the mind with the mind. And we are creatures that have a mind. You know, we do have consciousness and we're aware that we can think and we like to think. But before that, before we're even able to think, we are relational. We're born in relationship to our parents, in relationship to our stomach, in relationship to the world around us. And what I have experienced as I've sought to embody uh, this this three faces of God practice in my life is is to really sink back down and relax into the fact that I'm a relational creature that inhabits a relational universe. I cannot remember which mystic said this, but um, she said, and I do remember it being one of the one of the women mystics, which of course it would be because this wisdom is beyond most males, that God created everything to be in relationship with everything else. And that is what we're born into. As we incarnate into this universe, we're born into an interdependent, interconnected universe. And instead of trying to attack um, meditation as a mental construct that happens to have a body and a heart involved, this this we space three face approach to prayer just brings us right back home to who we really are. So I was wondering if you can maybe jump in a little bit, Luke, on this one as to, you know, what the three faces practice, how you were introduced to it and what it's meant to you and how it's evolved over the years. And we don't have to attack all of it. We don't have to approach that subject all at once, but just <laughs> how did, how were you introduced to it first? Yeah, I like to joke that, um, you know, <laughs> imagine uh, whatever you do in church or in your spiritual settings, and could it be done by a disembodied head? Uh, and if so, then um, maybe maybe the practice needs a little more integration, relationality, embodiment. <laughs> well said. <laughs> the, the, the answer to that, sadly, is yes, more often than it probably should be. But mm. uh, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, the relational component, the embodied component, um, you know, it... it it's just a movement of integration, which is, you know, kind of what we're all about trying to bring together the best of, of what's offered, what's out there of meditation and prayer of individual and collective or relational engagement. And, you know, for me, uh, it's, it's a really varied, all of those kind of paths have unfolded a little differently, you know, growing up in traditional Christianity, it's, there's sort of this, you know, uh, almost childlike relationality to, to Jesus and prayer. And, and then, you know, uh, I know for me, it, it kind of became a thing. I don't know that I could say I outgrew it as much as it just kind of stopped making sense as my views of God evolved. I didn't, um, I just kind of lost that, you know, and moved more into some other experiences of, of meditation and, um, you know, just the evolving and unfolding of spiritual practice. And, uh, when I discovered the three faces of God, which was through Paul that he, he wrote about it and talked about it. Uh, it was such a coming home because it, I had a space for each of those things together. I didn't have to choose just one kind of prayer or, you know, what was right was, should I just be meditating? Should I talk to God? Should I, 
you know, be moving into, into a transcendence or, you know, how do I understand all of this or how does it all fit together? Like which one is right, which one is the best way, the correct way. And, um, you know, like many things, it's not quite so dualistic or separate or black and white. It's, it's about understanding an integration of, um, more than one facet to something in this case, three facets, uh, can be held together. Even in a, enneagrammatically speaking, you know, for those of us that are aware of this system, since we're born with a preference, you know, an embodiment preference, or we may be a more of a heart-centered person, or it might be more of a head-centered person, there may be one of those three, the, the, the infinite, what we're calling the infinite, uh, you know, the, the intimate which is more of a heart-centered thing, the incarnate. Um, you know, and I, I want to be careful not to try to neatly um, attach those to a particular enneagrammatic style, but, you know, we, we, as we develop and as we grow, we may have a preference of more of an embodiment spiritual practice or more of a heart-centered devotional practice or more of a sort of a mental, uh, mindful approach to spiritual practice what I've and and each of those, if you end up like really preferencing one above the other, is it, it can be beautiful, it can be limited, it can also evolve. But but what I've found with the three phases approach is that if we really relax out of whatever our preferences is and allow the emergence of those three uh, dynamisms to really just inform, undo, inform, reform each other, it, it, it really pulls us out of the mental construct of what should I be excelling at or what should I be naturally good at. And, and that's why I'm really intentionally using the word relax because I found in my own practice, you know, um, being more of a heart-centered person, um, there came a certain point where I really felt like I outgrew heart-centered spirituality. I really needed to move to embodiment, you know, and kind of do away with that sentimental, you know, um, uh, lower level, what I thought of at one time as being a lower level. But just, like, I need to move out of this sort of, uh, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend, you know, sort of, I don't want to name the worship movements that are out there, but just, it really was a sentimentalized, hyper, yeah. you know, um, uh, emotional. And I just felt like I needed, I, I've outgrown that. I'm not really interested in that. When I ran into three faces, it was like, no, you can pull the best of what devotion and what love and what interdependence can be. And you can, you don't have to sacrifice embodiment and your, your headspace can be very much involved, but from a very spacious, sort of that, that infinite spaciousness that we like to talk about. So I'm wondering, you know, in, in your own practice, um, maybe before we even discuss the theologies uh, and the theological implications of these practices, has it evolved for you over the years since, years since you were first introduced to it? Did you have a particular slant that you brought before you found it into it and then how did it develop? yeah it's funny yeah sure it's funny you know when you were even starting talking about relationality i was like oh yeah that heart david's a heart person he's uh. going <laughs> that's what he's feeling you know and it's like and it's true it's there uh and so are the other things you know i i grew up a head person and pretty you know repressing my emotions you know 
detached from my body to a large degree, uh, at least in a conscious way. So I, you know, through learning the Enneagram and some other things also just realized the importance of connecting to my heart space. So that was always, you know, a really strong movement for me. The embodiment piece has come a little bit later, but I, yeah, I have a similar story where I had a really close intimate relationship with Jesus, you know, in my formative years of faith and, um, you know, that kind of, uh, fell away in a sense or, or, um, you know, it, it just, yeah, there was some sentimentality there. There was some, you know, manipulative, emotional, right. It just, uh, you know, and as a five, right. As a head person, uh, you know, you might think I might be really inclined to meditation or really inclined to, um, maybe say a more Buddhist informed practice that's detached or, you know, moving into this space. And, and maybe because that is my compulsion, I actually often, feel kind of turned off by that. Cause I, I'm like, I do that all the time. I don't need a meditation practice to like, um, you know, step back from reality or at least I used to. So, um, you know, yeah, it, we can certainly have maybe a, a proclivity that in its negative form can move into compulsion, um, in its positive form maybe is more of a gift of what we can offer. And there's certainly a lot to be said for moving into those strengths, but, you know, being really well-rounded in kind of our body, our heart and the relational and, uh, in our, our minds and, and, you know, we'll hit, we'll hit, we should probably hit up the three faces and, you know, talk about what each of those are explicitly, but, you know, the transcendence and God beyond us is not just in our mind space. Actually, that really connects to our embodiment as well. Um, yeah, they really, the, and I, that's why I did want to be a little careful not to make it too neat, uh, categorical way of, of approaching it, but there, there, we can find ourselves having certain inclinations or preferences and what I love about the three faces is it just says, let's not treat it like a hierarchy. Let's not treat it like a preference-based system. Well, I'm more of a heart-based surf, and so I, I want to focus more on the devotional aspects of things. It's like, no, let's let no. You have a body. You 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 have a, an awareness. I'm going to use awareness a little bit above mind mind or mindfulness, but you have the capacity to be aware of the interconnectivity and everything. And those three are not in competition with each other and they're not in contradistinction to one another. They're, they're actually mutually interdependent on one another, with one another. And when we can make that a practice of being connected to earth, being connected to the attunement of the heart and being connected to the spaciousness of, of the mind and its capacity to be aware of... Um, not just aware of itself, but where aware of awareness and aware of all the things that are that are uh, uh, involved with awareness. So maybe this would be a good opportunity to just really jump into what we mean when we say the three faces. I know we've touched into it before on previous podcasts, but let's jump in. And let's, yeah, let's, let's it again. And, even, and even like what you're saying just there at the end, the mind space being um, also something that we can reinclude and you know be involved it's not we're not just just trying to get out of our head or you know 
um, there's there's things that come to us in our mind that are really important and from a deeper state of knowing, uh, not just our kind of ego chat or monkey mind, right? Um, a lot of times we can get into the perspective that it's ego chat or monkey mind or it's silence and nothing, right? Oh. But there's actually, there's more there. So and you said this um, on a call, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I love the way that you put this on the call. We were on a WeSpace call on Tuesday night and you had said, Something to the effect, and, and jump in because you'll say it right because you were the one who said it, but so, well, the way I heard it and the way that I'm recalling it now was this isn't about what we know, but about what we're about to know. Can you say it in the way that you said it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the quality of emergence that yeah. we seek to discover in the we space and from our body, from our knowing state um, in our centers of spiritual knowing that, you know, so often we, we talk about you know, oh, I learned this or what's already there. We're kind of retrieving. But when we move into this space, this knowing state, whether that be in our in our head, our heart, our womb, our feet, our, our body, um, there's this emergence, not what we already know, but what we're about to know. And that's an access to um, what we might call a our divine self, our divine way of knowing, um, speaking from God. So, so we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, maybe we could just start with that, right? And that's that's actually the trickiest one. So, um, you know, one of the faces of God is that God being us, that we are participants in divine nature. We, my deepest me is God, as Catherine of Genoa said, or um, the eye with which God sees me is the same eye that that I see God, um, something like that. I might've butchered that Meister Eckhart, uh, or Jesus, I and the father are one and that they might be one and we are one, right? There's this reality of our inner divine nature. This is God being us. And in prayer <laughs> and what we do in the we space is we try to take the next step from identifying as God to actually participating from God or participating from our divine self. So we're moving into a state in our bodies where um, we're trying to tune into that consciousness, that God within us and hear from that and speak forth from that, not speaking for God, like the prophets of old, where we're going to, you know, claim this authority or, uh, you know, <laughs> shout at kings and rulers, although maybe there could be a place for that at times. But for the most part, we're, we're trying to access uh, that deeper wisdom, that higher wisdom that uh, we can use to bless one another, to strengthen, comfort, and encourage each other. And that's what we do in WeSpace to to offer and, and to learn how to be in a different place of consciousness where, yeah, where we're not just speaking something we read last week or the, the patterns, the normal patterns of our egoic mind. We're learning how to engage in a deeper consciousness, that divine consciousness within, and learn to speak from that to actually participate in divine nature. Now, that's a big step. It, it could be hard enough to, you know, get to that identification piece, which a lot of contemplative practices are aimed at helping us, you know, move toward. But, uh, that's, that's the goal. And that's, that's what actually, um, we see a lot in the Bible in, uh, in, in church settings there, people speaking forth, uh, these kind of words and, and images and pictures and things that they, they had to, to bless one another in their communities. The part of the I amness is not separate and singular. And I think it, that's something that you're touching into so beautifully is that, when we say, and we're quoting scripture at that point uh, in one of Peter's letters, he says we're partakers of the divine nature. I mean, let's really parse that phrase out. Partakers. Yeah. We are participating in, in divine 
uh, in the divinity of God. And God is not a separate, distinct being out there. Um, God is being itself in, in whom we live, move, and have our being, to quote another uh, passage. Is that? Yeah. And one of the things that I love about what you're doing, because you're jumping straight to first person, uh, you know, Paul Smith <laughs> in his writings, he saves that for last to yeah, kind of like yeah. set the stage for that. And you're, <laughs> you're jumping straight in, which I love, you know, is, is the sense that when we start our we, we space practice, the best way to do that is to truly be relaxed. The ego, you know, wants to contract and go, well, what if I really blow this? We get into kind of pass fail thinking or. You know, should I take the risk while I look dumb? You know, but when you're really grounded in the I amness of who God is, of who you are in that Godness, and and not just you, but you in the presence of all the other yous that are involved, um, you can relax. And even if you 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 know, if to use a Jewish Bible phrase, even if your word falls to the ground, it's okay. But yeah. but the beautiful part, I, I remember in the Ridwan School of A.H. Almas, we, we do, in the Enneagram world, we, we would do things like what's called repetitive questions, where one person asks the same question over and over again for 20, 40, 60 minutes. And, and um, you know, you would, you would give answer and very slowly. You would answer that, that same question, that repetitive question. And one of the things that we'd always have to do is to say, don't stack your questions. You know, like if you found out what the question is, you know, um, tell me uh, how you're supported. Finish that sentence or whatever. You know, uh, it, you would stack the answers. Go, oh, I got to really make sure I'm smart about this and I'm coming across <laughs> articulate. And, and, and we'd say, now, now, whatever you've stacked, like delete, control, alt, delete, get rid of it. Um, and just be attentive to what's coming up for you moment to moment when you answer that question or, or whatever the exercise was. And it's amazing how much you can come up with when you're truly relaxed and truly present. And so since you've jumped into yeah. the incarnate face of God, you, me, um, the rocks, the trees, everything around us, like what, um, is there anything that's been surprising that's come up for you when you've engaged in that particular aspect of the practice? Yeah, you know, it it's surprising how much reality and truth there is in it for people, right? Because you first do it, you're like trying to move into this different way of knowing this this kind of deeper state of consciousness. And, um, you know, for a lot of people, it can feel at first like, like imagination or just their subconscious or their, you know, and, and those are factors that we learn to distinguish from, right? That because those are there as well. But when people start knowing in this way and offering it to one another, uh, you know, someone they're doing it for someone in the group and they're like, wow, that, how did you know that? Or like, there's, um, there's an element there of, of reality that people discover experientially and they say, oh, this, this actually is a deeper way of knowing a way of connecting with one another in this space. Uh, so, so that's often surprising for people to, to learn and discover that. And, you know, but it really, it takes practice. It's something we have to work at and discover. And that's, that's again, going back to that verse, we are participants in the divine nature. How do you participate in something, right? And, and how do you learn how to do that, right? Well, isn't that what spiritual practice is for or is about? It's to 
to learn how to do those things. So that's what we're, you know, really seeking to do to, to learn how to do that. And that's, that is pretty difficult. I, I dove right into the deep end to start. So, uh, <laughs> we can, we can wade out into the other faces of God and include that as well for sure. But, um, well, I think there's something that's also really important that we need to cap- capture perhaps as because we dove into the deep end on this one. And that, that really is that in the West, if you and I were to be having this conversation in, a church, and, and I'm going to say probably 95% of most churches, uh, Christian churches, um, we would probably be run out of the room pretty quick. I could be off on the stats on that, but at, I'll just be saying in my experience, and I've had some experience in the national scene here in North America, um, that ownership of divinity or that partaking of the divine nature is really anathema as a conversation. We we have been shaped largely by Jesus is the begotten. He is the word made flesh. We're not included in that. He's not starting a new nation. He's not starting a new people group. He's not, we weren't included in that inclusion in John John's prologue, right? The word, the word everything came into being through the word, everything except me. Everything except everybody, <laughs> all the Amer- white Americans that came before us, you know, so uh, or, or any other people group. It's it's very, very singular upon him. And that participatory inclu- humility, divine humility and that participative nature of divinity that says, no, actually, beloved child, you're included, too. You know, it's like uh, I'm sorry to rabbit trail for a minute here, but there's a passage in, in one of John's letters that says, Take a look at what manner of love God has given to us that we would be called children of God. And it's like what I've learned in growing up in the church was that's something you believe in. That's not something you necessarily experience and can speak from experiential authority from. And by speaking experiential authority, I don't mean authority over. I just yeah. mean authority with like we're in this together. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah authority from, I mean, it's like, you know, you're this idea of, of owning that divinity. It, it, it's a lot more common in Eastern Christianity, right. Eastern Orthodox, kind of that divinization, that understanding, right. Our Western rational, when you're trapped in the mind space, um, you know, you associate your individual identity with your ego identity, with your mind identity. And yeah, we don't want to say my one ego identity is God because, you know, that you get into trouble when you do that. Right. But moving into the body, into the womb space is really the heart, the seed of, of where that divine identity rests, that deep, deep space. Um, where God is continually creating us and also in our, in our feet, our whole embodiment, sort of the, the God in all things, uh, which includes us, right? Uh, Paul puts it really lovely. He says the, something to the effect of like the sons and daughters of cows are cows, cows. right? The sons and daughters of horses are horses, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, on and on and on the sons and daughters of God are, right. well, what do you think? You right. Better. So, um, that's a beautiful way to put it. And, and so again, it's that process of owning that identity. A lot of contemplative practices really help us move into that, you know, um, identification as divine beings. And then the step in integral prayer from God being us is to move into, or to move into, um, participation, right. Speaking from, or praying from that God being us. I think so. That's in the womb. That's that's beautiful the the way that you just put it. And I I think too, just to keep the conversation round, 
um, or rounded. Um, part of the other aspect of our allergies that we've had, that the, the, the North American and especially Western churches had to participating in the divine nature and, and owning, I know that's a dangerous word, but really inhabiting or enfleshing our inherent dignity and divinity is that the institutional church, when it was developing, became the very hierarchy that Jesus said, don't do this. Don't become a hierarchy. And if you do, then put yourself at the bottom of it, not at the top. So in 313, when when Constantine said, no, we're going to transfer all of pagan ecclesiastical structure to Christian ecclesiastical structure, then you had all these ecclesiastical authorities saying, uh-uh-uh, we will decide who's divinized and who's not. So, so contemplatives over the years have had to sort of go off to the side and, and do it sort of quietly in order to heal those that were ready for it and just let the, the, the bones of the church continue to do what it was supposed to do. But I like to say, I don't want to demonize the bones of the church. Just sure. recognize that the bones is not the enfleshment of the church. It's not the spirit, nor is it the flesh. It's just simply the, the skeletal structure. And it's time for the, the flesh to really rise up. I think of the Ezekiel passage, the Valley of Dry Bones, right? We, I think we've been, Christianity has been looking at that Valley of Dry Bones saying, well, I guess that's the state of spirituality in the West, so maybe I should go to another valley. <laughs> you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, stay here, because if we can enflesh these bones, if, if, if spirit is willing to enflesh these bones, then, he, then spirit is using you and me to do so and, and using those who are saying we're willing to rise up out of the bones to, to bring in what the enfleshment was meant to be to begin with. Uh, what, yeah, uh, you, absolutely. And, and, oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's like, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe you do need to leave Christianity for a little for bit a and learn yeah. some things from other places and, yep. you know, maybe you find your way back, maybe you don't, but there's a, a coming home and native language in that I think we've talked about before, but it's, you know, and, and as we do, if that's the mystic turn, right, to move into the actual experience and participation and engagement in that, um, not from tradition, not from scripture, not just Jesus putting it all out there on some other, but owning it within. And then, you know, as that new life rises up, well, we're going to need some new bones. We're going to need some new wineskins yep. to put put fresh wine in. So I'm passionate about that as well. That's probably a topic for another podcast of it how we be. can kind of enflesh out new <laughs> new structures and whatnot. Totally, because in a strange, funny sort of way, like if you really study uh, the life of Jesus, he in his early age, this is what's fascinating. And as you know, you get it in Luke, he goes to the temple. So he's very much aware that there's a temple life in, in Judaism but then as he gets older, he moves away from temple life and he goes out to John the Baptist community that said the temple is not where it's happening right now. It's happening out here where no institution is touching us, where we can really get out into communion life with God again. And then he starts having these baptismal experiences that open him up and say, OK, I've, I've moved beyond that and I'm heading back to Jerusalem now to remind itself of what it was meant to be to begin with. And I think that's what this incarnational prayer that we're talking about, if it has a trajectory, it, it, it is really to, to bring us back to the institution and say, this isn't what it was meant to be. Thank you for doing what you did. It, I needed it when I was younger. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> but let me recall, let me r- remind you of what it actually was meant to be. So, and we will say that for another time. So, friends, as you keep sojourning with us on these subjects and as we keep exploring Integral Christian Network and, and what it's standing for and what it means, um, we invite you to keep tuning in and uh, stay aware, get plugged in. Um, do you want to plug our We Space groups again? Yeah, I mean, connect, you know, www.integralchristiannetwork.org. Uh, you can learn about the three faces. You can practice it in guided meditations, and you can jump into a We Space group and do that that uh, participation in divine nature with others in community in that way. 